Oh, oh right, we're going to tell you a load of really bleak facts about <laughs> 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 really bleak. Yeah, it, it's it, it's not a barrel of laughs. I'll, I will say that, but it is massively inspiring. So, you know, uh, are you sitting comfortably? You're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel, what to see? What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Oh, coughing during my interview, really? It feels uh, reductive. and welcome back to Big Diva Energy, the podcast for and about fabulous people being fucking extralent. I'm Holly Morgan. My husband Tom is also here. Hiya. Here he is. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't give you anything to say, did I? No, and you also had that intonation in your voice, which implied that there was a third person in the room, which of course there is. Because there is, because there's a third person in the Zoom. It's the wonderful, the incomparable, the gorgeous, fabulous, incredibly talented Bella Hisa. Hello. Hello, my <laughs> love. I sort of feel like I should applaud myself because yes. of the tone of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd like to see you do it. Thank you. <laughs> and you've had a bit Ooh. of a rotter of a, of a day because your phone's been nicked. So applaud yeah. yourself. Applaud away. <laughs> <laughs> now it feels weird. Um, I don't know, applaud having my phone stolen. <laughs> S- f- applaud your perseverance and uh, strength of spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and she's actually there clapping. There, there we go. go. <laughs> How's that done? Oh, you're a good sport, my love. How have you been? Yeah, all right. Up until that point, I am <laughs> so happy that the sun is shining again. Oh, oh my God. Doesn't it just make Today, such a difference? I was frolicking around in my garden <gasps> in a bikini with a massive paddling pool. Oh, yes. my dream. excuse for that is my three year old, but I probably would have done it just on my own. Absolutely. Oh, great. God, paddling pools are the tits, aren't they? I well, this wait. one is like one of those huge ones. <gasps> so I don't remember this being a thing when I was a kid, but it seems to be a thing now. That it's like, I don't even know, more than six foot long and like, I don't know, a metre and a half wide and had big blow up sides. Oh. So I was properly lounging in it while like the kid was playing at the other end. Oh Just, my wow. God, right. amazing. Yeah. It's a swimming pool. Yeah, exactly. basically, an inflatable swimming. What they've always claimed to be, but have never, yeah. never really produced. Oh, I knew we were having them. a child for a reason. I want one of these. This sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> what a dream. Sounds like a sort of like scaled down version of um, like a Duran Duran video. It's like, it, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's glamour, but it's, 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 it's realistic glamour. Yeah, that's true. I, sh- I I should have been playing some kind of music, shouldn't I, so that I could have pretended I was in a video. We've got another day of it. That. Do it tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll get some tunes on tomorrow. Treat yourself. Why not? Maybe maybe I'll make myself a margarita. Who knows? Oh, yeah. oh come on. Now we're talking. Get a little battery-operated keyboard and just pop out some chords. <laughs> yeah. I've actually... I've actually uh, um, my, my little boy actually has one of those, but he doesn't know any chords. So. <laughs> there you go. That's fine. It would just be some jazz. It'd be lovely. <laughs> He does. He presses the little button that that, that plays the pre-recorded songs, you know. Oh. So I could definitely have a selection of those. Amazing! There we go. Love it. There I love that. One demo too. track on my like Casio keyboard that I had when I was a kid, and oh, I still yeah. know the I still know the tune. It's still in my head. I can Is it a famous it. tune? No, it was just like. <laughs> It is a banger, to be fair. I can <laughs> well, see why it's stuck good. with you. 
pretty lodged in there. I I have one as well, and mine played a song which I, I've never heard in the wild called "Don't Go Changing." Not like "Don't Go Changing." Mm-hmm. No, don't go changing to try to please me. I've not heard the lyric. I, I I've pieced this together because my parents were like, "Oh, that's a song," but like, but my version of it was just a ba 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 in the kind of lounge core style. <laughs> I re- I I'm on I haven't heard this either, but I'm on board with that lyric. Yeah, I like that. Don't go changing to try to please me. That's a good yeah. Um, a good kind of moral principle yeah. to be growing up with. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Was it a recent song or was it something they no, knew from like I the sixties or something? I think it was like a seventies. It had a very sort of loose seventies vibe. I'll have to look it up now. <laughs> <laughs> Dear listener, if you're familiar with this song, please do write in with your observations. Make it your new theme song. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Well, it, you're right. It's very much our vibe, and it's very much appropriate for our subject, Nina Simone. Uh, so, she'd last... have an argument over whether it was jazz or not. Yes, <laughs> she would. She'd have many thoughts about that. Uh, so we we sort of brought her into f- stardom basically on our mm-hmm. last episode mm. and now we're going to see what happens after one becomes a star uh, which i think is always a really interesting period in a diva's life because it's like this is the bit where the myths are made isn't it this is the bit mm. where you kind of um you, yeah you see a lot of people say it maintaining that there has been quote-unquote diva behavior um yeah, often the time when people start trying to drag them down again. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because Build them up, drag we, them down. We cannot have just a centre, centre, scent. We must have yeah. a scent and degradation. Uh, but don't worry, she handles it like a boss. So, <laughs> of course. Sh- shall we? Shall we get into Nina, the star? Let's. Fantastic, right. So, in 1961, Nina married Andy. Is that meant to say Andy or Andy? Yeah, Andy. Oh, sorry. I, so- I hate him so much, I couldn't even write his name properly. <laughs> Um, Yes. Um, Andy Stroud was a tough New York vice squad cop who left the police force in order to manage Nina. Their daughter Lisa was born nine months after their wedding day and the couple lived in prosperity and security in upstate New York. Despite her burgeoning success in the jazz world, Nina still had a burning ambition to be the first black concert pianist to appear at Carnegie Hall, an ambition which she achieved under Stroud's management. However, Whoa! yeah, she did it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's have a moment for that. Like she was, she absolutely, she got there. She did it. Hooray. I didn't know that. That makes me happy because I was just like, oh, the piano thing didn't work out. She was just a singer. Not just, I mean, obviously. Wasn't the route that she would have wanted, yeah. like the way that she would have, yeah, yeah. Secure, more circuitous no. than she, I think, believed it would be. Exactly. Slight down part was she she was nappy. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. yeah, she I felt that coming. Yeah. <laughs> We slightly signal that one. Uh, yeah, basically, she she thought, even in the midst, the midst of this triumph, she wanted to be playing Bach. She didn't want to be playing the song she was playing and singing. So she was oh, like, right. it was tainted. Which, yeah. which is an interesting experience, isn't it? To kind of imagine realising your all of your dreams as a, as a performer or writer mm. and then it had just be like, oh, but, it, you know, yes, you're, you're getting to write a series, but it's, I don't know. Teletubbies come back or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually I'd make a heavy pitch for. <laughs> the reboot. Reboot could be the new Teletubby. Oh, yeah, um, brilliant. 
Tiggy Winky Reboot. <laughs> um, so, as Nina's fame went stratospheric, she began to experience profound bouts of depression and her behaviour became increasingly volatile. So, as a manager, Andy, quote, handled her like a racehorse, giving her no time to recover in between bookings and punishing touring schedules away from her, their daughter. So Nina became increasingly dependent on pills to keep up with the schedule. And this coincided with her developing a reputation for being a diva. So if people on stage were talking, she would walk out. Um, which I don't think is... I mean, <laughs> what's wrong Unreasonable. with that? Yeah. They're not listening. <laughs> Do you mean when she Sorry. was on stage, people were talking? Yeah, people, people were talking. on stage were talking? No, no, people... If she was on stage, people were talking. She'd be like, right, I'm going. Yeah, I get that's a funny one, isn't it? Because I guess like when presumably when she was first in the the bar and grill, yeah. <laughs> like she was accustomed to people talking because it's that kind yes. of gig, right? Where you're kind of playing in the background yeah. while people are having their drinks, whatever. And but then once you reach a certain point where people have come to see you, yeah, you expect them to appreciate that. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. yeah, and you're absolutely knackered. You've been driven from pillar to post by this man, spoiler alert, who is awful, um, away from your daughter. And you're like, okay, I'm on my last bit of, my last dregs of energy. All right, I'll pop a few pills and go in and do the show. Oh, and you're talking. <laughs> absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, you paid a no. ticket. Why aren't you listening? Yeah, exactly. I think she, I mean it. It sounds like she was just she was just pushed to her limit. Mm. Um, at- yeah, to be honest, like I don't know. I'm sort of I, this might sound like a perverse thing to say, but like in a way, I'm a bit disappointed because I don't feel like that is kind of her true diva energy like mm. with her in her best place I feel like as yes. exactly as you just said that's because she's been pushed to this place where she doesn't want to be and so she may be would have handled that differently if yeah. everything else had been going swimmingly like yeah not I mean I think I absolutely think that you you should still demand respect mm. but I could imagine imagine her saying something to the yeah <laughs> to the audience for example like shut the fuck up yeah and then you know continuing to, giving them a warning um <laughs> the, the, like just leaving straight away does suggest that it's like I'd really rather not be here anyway yeah I'm exhausted mm. I haven't slept I miss my child like yeah. fuck it Absolutely. Like, so we think about the, the great divas who chat back to the audience. Obviously, Patty Lapone is renowned for it. Um, no phones allowed. No phones allowed. And then you think about like male performers, such as Van Morrison, who is famous for coming on stage, looking at an audience, and walking off. And you're like, <laughs> sorry that he did not like the, the cut of their jib. Yes, yeah, your, your jib is not to my, my liking. Um, and th- th- that doesn't sound like either of those things to me it's exactly as, as we've i think yeah. identified um yeah this this police ex-policeman Ugh. sounds like a right dip oh, oh strap him. He's so abs- much worse he's so awful um yeah so nina and andy's marriage then did descend into a horrific cycle of abuse so speaking of warnings i'm just going to give everyone a quick trigger warning yeah because uh, i'm about to touch on domestic abuse and sexual assault so if you want to skip on 30 seconds, uh, that would be advised if that's something you might be triggered by. So on one occasion, Nina received a note from a fan which she unthinkingly put into her pocket. And when he found it, Andy beat her viciously on the street, continuing to beat her until they got home where he tied her up and then he raped her. And following the assault, Mm. he gaslit her and denied it had ever happened and told her she was insane. Fucking hell. It's unthinkable, isn't it? Just... 
Yeah. Uh, this was incredibly public as well. This incident where with the fact- that's the thing, the beating on the street. Yeah. Like, that's you did. Like, I mean, obviously you shouldn't beat someone anywhere, but you just assume that they would do it behind closed doors. Yeah, like, that's abs- so brazen. Absolutely. A lot of that, yeah, domestic domestic violence relies on that. Yeah, sort of quite, quite safe space for for him. Yeah, yeah, to perform what what he wants to do and to just do it that brazenly in public is horrifying. To one of the you know. Most famous women in the world. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could maybe draw a parallel with uh, the Rihanna and Chris Brown. Um, Mm. But Mm. the public outcry at that, obviously, because it was, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago that that happened? And this is, um, you know, the 60s. And it's just sort of brushed under the carpet. Can it possibly be a coincidence he's an ex-cop? Well, yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to say that, though, you know, Mm. like the the sense of kind of... um, of being untouchable mm. yeah is it feels strong yeah <laughs> like, yeah that it, it doesn't it doesn't matter if she's this incredibly famous successful singer she's still just a black woman who is his wife yeah and he is still you know like in a position of power which is fucked and yeah potentially significant that he was vice squad as well given mm. that the sort of stories we hear about the way that like uh, sex work and things are treated by those cops yeah. and that ability mm. to abuse women that mm. probably came with the, the job a little bit and yeah yeah what happened on the job at least yeah he was he was by all accounts a pretty um he was renowned for being a, a tough a tough cop so is, yeah euphemism for complete yeah for complete psychopath yeah. yeah in that documentary actually that i that i watched um there's quite a lot of footage f- with him which is quite uncomfortable to watch once you've heard Nina talking in her own words about this assault, um, mm. especially as as, it, as as the story unfurls. Lisa, their daughter, at times is clo- was closer to him than to Nina Simone, and it's well because like if she was off touring and yeah. she was at home with him, then mm. yeah, absolutely. And then as an adult, they kind of they they seem to have had quite a close bond. Um, yeah, very, very complicated and knotty and, uh, yeah. and sad. Lisa's then a really interesting uh, person in the story because, yeah, the dynamic sort of switches and yeah, we'll see it soon. But yeah, there's a part in their life where sort of, yeah, allegiances change and things. Yeah. So should we take a quick break? We'll have a little yeah. break to, yes. Let everyone recover from that, from that. bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Nina Simone, overworked and abused, but beloved as the, quote, the high priestess of soul. The year is 1963. MLK and the SCLC's campaign to bring national attention to the efforts of local black leaders to desegregate public facilities in Birmingham, Alabama, had begun earlier in the year, defined by peaceful protests, sit-ins and boycotts. On September the 15th, 1963, the Ku Klux Klan bombed Birmingham's 16th Street Baptist Church, which had been the staging centre for many of the, of the spring demonstrations. Four young black girls, Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson and Carol Denise McNair, were killed. Uh, so in response, Nina wrote to the protest anthem, Mississippi Goddamn. Nina's fame was in many ways at its zenith at this point, and this outspoken protest took unbelievable courage. Uh, many radio stations refused to play the song nominally due to the presence yeah. of the word goddamn in the title. So, yeah, I mean. Fuck them. Fuck yeah. them. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we all know why they wouldn't play also, it. 
But like, besides anything else, it's a great song. It's such yes. a good song. Like, it's not even like, oh, that's just a political song. It's a fucking yeah. great song. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's not some turgid like anthem. You know, it's, it's really yeah. It's, it's sorry, it's not a turgid like drone. It's a great song. It's a, yeah, because you can, and I think it's so like because I didn't know that like when I first heard that song, the origins of it, what right. it was about, and I and I have a terrible tendency to not really pay attention like i listen to lyrics mm-hmm. yeah but i don't necessarily i think a lot of people do this. i don't yeah. necessarily worry about what they actually mean oh no like no. you know like how half the time you're singing the wrong lyrics anyway yeah, oh, just, yeah. You know. um but i just but i think you can feel the kind of the real kind of deep mm. like yes. passion and pain in that song and so like i I knew that it was about something. If that makes yeah. sense, even though I didn't know what it was about. Yes. you can cut. You can feel that there's like some some weight to it. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, she she sang it at the at the Selma March, and she said that her anger broke her voice, and that it never returned to its former act octave, which wow. is like yeah, just that that power that we that we can hear in. The, the recorded mm. rendition of it yeah and this yeah. in this live rendition she said it just that was it her her voice something in, internally broke which i mean it's something I'm, I'm i'm quite interested in physiologically psychologically singing i think is very like sometimes people lose their voice and there's nothing physically wrong and i just think that's really mm. interesting that this uh yeah this immense passion she claimed broke her voice i mean obviously it's still an incredible voice um yeah but yeah she lost some notes because of it wow yeah I didn't know that that's really interesting yeah it's funny because I guess it's sort of I don't know in it in a sense it it's kind of implicit in that phrasing if she said her anger broke her voice that she is acknowledging that there's something emotional and psychological about that Mm. experience yeah you know as well as physical but that it um yeah, that doesn't sound like she's just saying, "Oh, I strained my voice." That's no, like she's no. saying like a, a break occurred, which is which is something kind of can be something emotional as well, can't it? Absolutely, and I think there's something so interesting about you know you think about a torch singer or a jazz singer who will perform maybe a set of standards and maybe back throw back to her bar and grill days when she's probably just sort of sitting there and 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 getting through the set. Mm. When you perform work that is incredibly personal incredibly connected to you I mean Bella as someone who has performed incredibly personal work I imagine that there's even when you're touring it for months on end you you don't you don't leave and your yourself is kind of integral to the performance of it is it not yeah yeah I think I underestimated that with my first play because mm. um I well <laughs> it sort of features in the play because I'm very good at switching my emotions off. Um, and so I like genuinely, I remember having a discussion with my director, Tanaka, when we were making the show about that, I was considering writing a stage direction about me crying, mm. but I didn't want to because I didn't know if I'd be able to cry. And I was like, that, and that seems bad that I as a professional actor when performing a play about my parents dying might not be able to conjure tears (laughs) (laughs) like I genuinely might not like so um so I sort of have had this kind of emotional remove Mm. um which I thought and I think to a certain extent did would sort of keep me safe if you like yeah but but it was incredibly draining Mm. and I'm like 
I don't think that was just draining because I was doing a show every day. <laughs> I think it yeah. was more draining because, and it's probably the emotional and psychological effort of holding that stuff as a di- at a distance. Yes. It's a bit like if you're like physically pushing against something, you know, it, you can keep it back, but it's going to take some effort and your arms are going to be tired. Like yeah, it's yeah. that kind of emotional thing. And I think the difference with that for me is that the, um, the, the deaths were in the past. Obviously the grief was in the present, but um, I wasn't I wasn't battling anything external in the present whilst I was performing that. Mm. Whereas for Nina, that situation was current. Yes. Like yeah. I think it'd be very different if she if she had written about something historical, mm. which still would have been very emotional. Yeah. Um, but kind of would have had that that distance. Whereas if she in the moment is like and I am living under this oppression and the, the you know, equivalent people could die again tomorrow. Yes. And, um, and you're, I mean, she's in a, in a way to an extent, she's literally trying to do something about that by singing the song. Yeah. Like that's a lot of pressure. Oh, <laughs> on a, huge. On, on an old sing song, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's putting, <sighs> putting the old larynx under a bit of strain, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the fire of that activism was sustaining I think and uh I'm trying to say a word I've never said out loud before I don't know if I was just coruscating is that what I mean when something burns you is that that the word I mean if it's no no no, it isn't no it's not it is but I've I also have not said it out loud before so I can't help you but I do know the word you mean (laughs) great I remember when when I I see it written down I'm like oh good word what a word I I haven't got into using it yet (laughs) We're both, we're both taking our tentative steps with coruscating. <laughs> that word. Fiery fire of her activism. <laughs> uh, it the took, burning fire. The burning fire. Of her, it took it for her further away from her piece of shit husband, uh, who was still basically focused on uh, working his quote-unquote racehorse and getting every dreg of commercial success he could out of her. Yeah. And so uh, Nina, uh, in retaliation, became more and more enmeshed in the... Well, not in retaliation, but as in the, as opposed to that. Yeah. She became more and more enmeshed in the civil rights movement, which was reflected in her recordings of such songs as uh, Strange Fruit and Mr. Backlash. She got to know Martin Luther King and lived down the street from Malcolm X. It's just amazing. <laughs> Such a fucking boss. Such a boss. Her circle included thinkers, playwrights and intellectuals of the movement such as Stokely Carmichael, Langston Hughes and Lorraine Hansberry, the author of Raisin in the Sun. Uh, Nina took the title of Hansberry's play to be Young, Gifted Black and turned it into one of the most enduring pay-ins to black excellence. Oh, I uh, love that song so much. Yeah, I was so going to ask good. you, how, yeah, how do you respond to that song? I just, it, do you know what? It's still, still today feels radical mm. and like revolutionary as if just as a thing to say like because I feel like there's this I mean and I don't know hopefully it's changing but it, but I still feel like in sort of polite circles there's still this sense that um not being racist is just saying that everyone is equal and if you make too much of a fuss about specifically being black and Mm. also you know talented or gifted or something good yeah then it's it's sort of I don't know like impolite or or somehow like unfair like it feels like there's still this kind of um but I suppose what it is is it's because 
for because whiteness is the default in our society nobody white would say i'm a really talented white man <laughs> because yeah. the assumption is that you are white and that that talented people are white and so there's no it would be odd to state it like and and it's something in fact that i talked to um to my husband about ages ago i remember like he sort of realized that he'd never considered his own race growing up just right. wasn't a thing this didn't exist you yeah. know it was just neutral yeah. um whereas you know obviously I as a mixed race person had like that that formed part yeah. of my identity mm. um and I think in a similar way it's like that you therefore for, for lots of perfectly well-meaning white people who are not actively racist yeah perhaps are not actively anti-racist but are not you know um sort of racist and are like it feels like that ought to be irrelevant like why do you need to tell me that you're black the fact that you're black has nothing to do with how gifted you are Mm. like in their head like that's not that shouldn't be a factor and so it feels like there's something radical about taking pride in that as an identity as well because it's it is still seen as lesser like even if it's seen as lesser in a sort of politically aware way like the fact that often in this country black people are in a lower socioeconomic bracket like there's still these kind of assumptions and associations around race even if it's not coming from a place of thinking that like that you know you're genetically inferior there's there's still a kind of a negative association like that that it's less than that um and I think that's partly why you get like culturally um a thing of sort of um like with like rappers and things really brandishing wealth I do honestly think that partly comes from that it's like excuse me like look at what I have achieved it is here in gold um and the yeah and and so I think for her to kind of to sing that song and to say that is is to celebrate that you know young black people a can be gifted and can succeed despite Mm. everything around them um but it's but but to point that out is in is kind of silently like the shadow of that is to point out that people kind of assume that they can't be because otherwise it wouldn't be worth commenting on (laughs) so even though it's this incredibly and what I love about it is that it's incredibly celebratory and that it's not because obviously with something like Mississippi, Mississippi Goddamn and other songs, there is a lot of pain there. And that yeah. is right and true. But it is also like, I, you know, it's uh, nowadays it's hashtag black joy. Like I want yeah. to see that. That is, um, it's really important actually. It's something that I see activ- activists on my like Instagram timeline or whatever being like, no, I am going to post pictures of me having a lovely time like on holiday spending money wearing nice clothes whatever it is because Mm. actually in this context that is also a political act yes um i am being happy and um you know despite all of the world's attempts to make me miserable Um, and so there's something about the the joyousness of the song as well that it feels kind of incredibly sort of freeing and i imagine if you know I had been a young black person at that time it would feel um it would remind me of the fact that that was possible you know in the face of seeing these news stories about people dying and all of this horrific stuff to have that song and to just it would just lift your spirits I reckon yeah absolutely 
there's something about the the sort of the stepped nature of the melody as well I think that makes it feel very eternal but very timely I'm sure as well like it, it feels like the sort of I don't know like a national anthem or something mm. doesn't it um yeah it, 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 a, an incredibly important song and again she is one of the most famous women in the world uh, who's not using her fame to assimilate she's actively celebrating her her blackness and it's yeah it's interesting isn't it when you to, to go back to Beyonce like how we think about kind of how radical people found it when she started being a bit more political yeah. I mean she and she's still like, she's nowhere near as overtly political yeah. as Simone no, no. like she's just clarifying that she is in fact black and that's, that's yeah. controversial exactly. enough yeah um, but it is it is a risky thing to do and obviously yeah. it was even more so back then right? absolutely yeah I mean if, yeah formation is what six albums in uh this is Nina yeah. Simone in, in like yeah. <laughs> she's very early in, in her career really and very early after her ascent to superstardom like it's mm. yeah it's amazing <laughs> for Beyonce's CF the SNL sketch that they did oh yeah like, yeah the day that white people found out Beyonce was black I love that so much it's it so good it's so well observed isn't it <laughs> Um, so she secured, uh, Nina managed to secure a hit with her version of Ain't Got No from the musical Hair, but this was no return to the mainstream. As she told Martin Luther King, Nina did not believe in non-violent protest. Just once again, she told Martin Luther King she did not believe <laughs> in non-violent protest. His assassination in 1968 caused her to observe that they are killing us all one by one. So you can sort of see her point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Apparently, she did used to say to him basically every time she saw it, she'd be like, "You know, I don't believe in, and I'm not non-violent." And he'd be like, "Yes, Nina, yes, we've been, we've been through this. I very much am." You kind of you'd see why I can't really get into this right now, but <laughs> oh, yeah. that's I just thought that like there's a there's a darkness underpinning that, isn't there, in terms of her experience with her husband? Yes, like she's like, I know the people you are facing, yeah, <laughs> and they will not care if you're being non-violent. Like, that's from personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, At the Harlem Festival of 1969, the footage of which you can watch in the cinema right now as part of the excellent film Summer of Soul, uh, Nina asked her majority black audience if they were willing to kill if necessary. And that's where she'd got to by 1969. She's literally... the, The footage is... Incredible. I think it's... She sings Young, Gifted and Black as well. She sings Young, Young, Gifted and Black. And then she basically sort of... Her intention um, that she spoke about was to start a riot. She wanted revolution. Mm. And she was like, most people here in this audience are black. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah, they, let's go. The, I'm ready. The police weren't weren't the people that were put involved uh, in charge of the security for the festival. Um, it was the Black Panthers were were the security. Yeah, before, so amazing. Like, <laughs> she could. It could have. Happened. It could have happened. Yeah, she, she could have easily. I'm, it's amazing, really, that she didn't manage it. There were loads of like multi generations of people there. It was. It wasn't quite the time, quite the occasion. <laughs> no. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because yeah, because that I can imagine that. I don't know, sort of in in like that thing I was just saying about Black Joy. They're like, we're yeah. all here to have a lovely time, Mina. <laughs> yes. We oh, really like your song. Can we yeah. just have one day of happiness? <laughs> 
can we kill tomorrow? Because yeah. I promise you I'm ready if it's necessary, but I'm having quite a nice day out in, in Harlem with my friends. So. It's interesting that she said that that was her intention. So it's like yeah. she didn't know what the vibe would be. Mm. So she went there with the idea that she could do that and she might try. Yeah. And sort of you see on the faces of people in, in you know, around the gig and stuff that, that everyone, yeah, you can see how nicer time everyone is having yeah and so she obviously just sort of yeah like rubbed up against that kind of moment and went ah massively misjudged this one didn't yeah I? uh i don't fuck it i'm gonna do it anyway so <laughs> <laughs> she went for it I but you know it's interesting that and i get it i guess it wouldn't have had the same power if she hadn't genuinely had that intention but for me even just posing that question as a rhetorical question is incredibly yeah. powerful like yeah I, because even when you just said that holly like the hairs went up on the back of my neck yeah. And it and I was like, God, would I be? Do you know what I mean? Like it does make yeah. you fit mm. and it then makes you think, well, the in the broader sense, like that could be f- quite clearly framed as self-defense because like mm. they are killing us. So the, yeah. so the you know, yeah. it's not like it's not just a sort of black power in the face of no opposition like, let's just go yeah. kill the whiteies it's well the, you know in order to protect ourselves but, absolutely um, absolutely you know they, they've just killed the leader of of you know the pioneer of non-violent protest yeah what the, what the fuck else have we what are we gonna do like um and and she looks so striking in this performance as well she's just she's so adorned in this kind of uh, in African finery and she just looks like a a goddess mm. um so yeah I would heartily recommend if anyone has yeah any time. I need to see that yeah it's so good and the moment when Reverend, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson as well leads oh. a sort of gospel um reaction to Martin Luther King's death is just with Mahalia Jackson yeah oh god oh. it's just like one of the most phenomenal pieces of film like you'll probably ever see yeah and he was stood oh. next to him when it happened and yeah. It's like, oh. Oh. yeah it's powerful powerful stuff yeah uh, and, and it's amazing I think still in the cinemas because yeah, we talked I think it's about been, it like it's been three a huge weeks hit, ago but... huh it's been a really big hit has it has it yeah. done really well good. yeah yeah um yeah The Guardian called it potentially the greatest music for, uh, documentary ever made so, good for them. Okay. Good for them, yeah. Uh, Nina's increased militancy and calls for both revolution and a black separate state began to make promoters and primetime TV bookers extremely reticent to book her, <laughs> further estranging her from her disgusting husband. <laughs> good. Yes. Um, so by the end of the 60s, her depression instigated further violent outbursts and suicidal ideation. Uh, she went on a long tour with Bill Cosby. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that'll oh, do it. Uh, and on the last night, she appears to have had some sort of psychotic break where she sort of, um, she started spraying shoe polish in her hair and uh, was behaving in a very erratic way. But she still went on. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think if that, if nothing else, that's a symbol of how far she'd been pushed to the edge, that she was mm. clearly in the middle of some sort of intense episode and she did a full gig. Yeah. So Andy and Nina had come to an understanding regarding third parties in their marriage, and he continued to manage her. However, in 1970, she left her wedding ring and a note on the dresser to awful Andy, and she left, leaving Lisa behind. Oh. Mm. Uh, she went to Africa. She went to Liberia. She experienced a spiritual, semi-religious, nomadic moment uh she did move lisa to liberia when lisa was in her young teens 
devastatingly, and I'm going to again provide a little trigger warning here. Um, uh, this was where the abused became the abuser. Uh, Nina began to physically abuse her daughter. Uh, and she was driven to suicidal ideation as well. Lisa was her daughter. And age 14, she returned to be with her father in America. Oh, God. Oh, horrid, isn't it? One year, it got bleak. Very bleak. Mm. Just a, a, an amazing woman pushed to the very edge of her mental capacity. Um, and her daughter is interviewed in this in this film that will be in the show notes, and she is a really wonderful, compelling interviewee who has obviously come to a place with her feelings about her mother where she can still celebrate her as a great woman um, and still tell the truth about what happened to her when she was a teenager. Mm. <sighs> it's very brave. Does she have any kind of... Um... I mean, obviously, it's not her job to when she's a teenager, but I'm just interested if, if she had any sort of um, insight into, like, what was going on there. Like, yeah, yeah. I think she she didn't have a diagnosis yet. They, she didn't get the diagnosis until the 70s, I think, or oh, yeah, maybe the early 80s. So they didn't have a kind of clinical, I, I guess they would have they would have called it manic depression i guess back in in those in those times but i think they she would have been aware that her mother was had these episodes for sure and that they when she was because she could be a very loving mother i so i think i think she she did have an awareness of that and um, mm. and lisa's also an uh, 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 an artist as well so she seems to have had a, a, a given her mum a little bit of slack because of her uh creative lack of fulfillment fulfillment and things as well yeah it's interesting the um i don't know i uh, lots of different things happening in my head Mm. because um i didn't know this specifically about her and um on the one hand i'm aware that part of what is happening is i'm trying to avoid cognitive dissonance and therefore make excuses for nina because i want to think that she's wonderful and Mm. i don't want to do that um uh, because it's not acceptable to abuse your daughter um and but then also i more acceptably i think i'm trying to sort of make an empathic leap and understand why that might have happened yeah and i think that um one of the things that i've sort of noticed as a parent is that you your child is you at the beginning Mm. particularly speaking from personal experience, if you have carried them in your body, it may well feel like this if you haven't, I don't know. But um, it really, like there's I, there's a few different people who've said in various ways that it's like having your heart outside of your body. But like, mm-hmm. it really feels like they're a part of you. And it's kind of a really interesting process. The, the separating, the separating kind of happens again right. and again and again. It's this kind of wrenching apart of like, you know, if you stop breastfeeding, if you do, they, they start going to childcare without you. They start, but also just they develop a personality independent of you. Um, mm. And it's, it's kind of like weirdly like a loss. But what that also means is that inevitably what happens is that your, your child will reflect yourself back. Yeah. Um, and that, that, 
when they're little will often be in quite trivial funny ways like you know a turn of phrase or whatever um but and and I am quite an arrogant self-loving person and so generally when my child reflects me back I find it adorable um (laughs) but every now and again there'll be like a little something that you're not so proud of and that you you have well I try and check in with myself and try not to respond too harshly because the Mm. instinct is in fact to respond far more harshly if your child reflects back something which you think is true about yourself which you don't like because right. the same way that you're more harsh with yourself right than you are, you ever would be with anyone else I feel like sometimes it's almost an extension of that of like yeah that you're almost being cruel to yourself if you're being cruel to your child so the fact that obviously Nina had all the, these kind of various like traumas and issues with herself and her own mental health. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, there, if there's an element of that as well. Like she, yeah. I mean, first of all, her daughter is going to be embodying her guilt at having sort of effectively abandoned her for stretches of time, whether or not yeah. she was pressured to do that by her husband. Uh, but then also if she did remind her of herself in any way, then that could, that work could be triggering literally, you know, like it's a, yes. like, it's yeah. a really weird kind of loop, that thing. Absolutely. Not that that justifies anything. Um, that's such an interesting perspective. That's so. That's really, really interesting. I think there's a lot in that for sure. Yeah, and yeah. not designed to justify, designed to explain. Yeah, which mm. is two different things. Absolutely. People seem increasingly unable to um, see the difference between. Them. <laughs> um, but Nina did not perform at all during her years in Africa. Eventually, she needed to resuscitate her career as she needed to earn money. And she did not wish to return to the States, where there was also a warrant out for her arrest due to unpaid taxes. Just a, just a little side note, which we weren't aware of up until that point. And so she went first to Switzerland, as we all do when we've got unpaid taxes, uh, and then to Paris, where she played every night in a small cafe for $300 a night. No one believed I was there, so nobody came to see me, she said. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Nina Simone is playing in a tiny case. She's back to the bar and grill. Yeah, good one. And no one's coming. (laughs) Yeah, good one. Yeah, I won't be going to that. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I believe you. Of course, Nina Simone's playing around the street. She really is. I've that seen her now. It's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely. There must have been a handful of people who were like, "This is the best thing ever." Yeah, and went every night. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> folks, literally, Nina Simone's on. I, obviously, I'm going to go and watch her again. That's where I Those eat my dinner. Those people still kicking yeah, around. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. I now work in the cafe in Paris, <laughs> just so I can look at her. Imagine if you'd just gone on a long weekend to Paris and you just stumbled in on the first night and you're like, fuck! Yeah! <gasps> That's the holiday! What's that Woody Allen film where, like, um, all Midnight the... Midnight in Paris. Midnight in Paris, yeah, all the literary figures come to life. You'd think you were in that, wouldn't you? You'd be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but interv- uh, interviewed in the early 80s, Nina G- she said, I'll try that again. Uh, in an interview in the early 80s, uh, Nina shared her view that the industry had punished her for her controversial songs such as Mississippi Goddamn and caused a boycott of her records. She also said, I'm sorry that I did not become the world's first black classical pianist. I think I would have been happier. I'm not very happy now. Oh, Isn't that either. just devastating? Just as a little phrase on its own. I'm not very happy now. So simple, but yeah, so <sighs> profound, isn't it? I know, it just broke my heart. Um, There's something help. amazing about saying that, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. People don't say that. No, people don't go... I don't know, it, it's, 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 it's kind of... It's multifaceted, isn't it? Because she sort of 
coming from the perspective of someone who who had this incredible career going, but it wasn't the incredible career I wanted, which A, you don't often hear women going, well, I didn't, I wanted more and I didn't get Mm -hmm. it, which is really powerful. But it's fascinating that she chose the words, I'm sorry as well. Yeah. Which is almost like a, yeah, an apology. Yeah. I know know that it's a turn of phrase, but it is an interesting one to choose. Yeah. Yeah. Because she has nothing to be sorry about. It's no. not her fault. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, sort of to me, I don't know, like tonally that feels like it's it's part of the sadness. And I suppose maybe the that for me, what that implies, the use of I'm sorry, is that at that time in her life, mm. she's no longer fueled by anger. Yeah. yeah. Like, so, like, I feel like earlier in her life, she was fueled by anger. And so she was angry that she wasn't a classical pianist, but that was driving her on to do more. Whereas that, that quote kind of feels like she's tired and she's given up. Yeah. (laughs) And she's sorry that it didn't go another way. Like, the, the, the primary emotion now is sadness. Absolutely. And she's medicated now as well, um, mm. which, yeah, which is interesting maybe to, to think of, to reflect on how that might have changed to her, taken, uh, diminished some aspect of the fire. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it was still there. She was at a very, very low ebb at this point, and she was increasingly volatile and, and violent sometimes. Uh, and in 1988, when living in the Netherlands, she was finally diagnosed as bipolar, as they uh, were calling it, the terminology had come about. Uh, The medication affected her playing, and it caused physical deterioration, but the doctors convinced the friends around her that it was this, or have her cause damage to herself and other people. The use of My Baby Just Cares For Me in a Chanel advert allowed Nina to have something of a second coming, performing the song for her very first album to rapturous newly discovered audiences. Uh, she settled in the south of France in 1993 and continued to tour the world. And also, this song had like this; it became a big hit, and it gave her a degree of financial independence again, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, good. And in 1995, um, just as a side note, <laughs> it was reported in the Daily Telegraph that she had been fined for shooting. <laughs> Its correspondent reported the incident was triggered by two teenagers playing in a swimming pool at a neighbouring villa. The American jazz musician, she wouldn't piss off about that, claimed that she had twice asked the youths to be quieter. When they failed to cooperate, she fired rounds of buckshot across the hedge. I have so much time for this. Absolutely. I've told you twice. Now I feel like that thing of walking off stage and people in the audience were being quiet. Maybe that just was authentically her vibe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were like, oh, she was strung out. Yeah. No, she just hates people fucking making noise. Don't yeah. make noise. <laughs> she likes things quiet or musical. <laughs> Never the twain shall meet. Literally, I love it. Like she twice warned them, and that now it's time. Like yeah. that's time for the gun. <laughs> Get my gun out. Oh, I love her. Um, but this this was. This was when the last time she made the headlines. Mm. Um, so, But two days before Nina's death from breast cancer in 2003, she was awarded an honorary diploma from the Curtis Institute, the school which declined to admit her when she was 19. Well, good. Better late yeah. than never, I guess. Better late yeah. than never, Curtis Institute. It's not ideal from them. Um, yeah. But 
I mean, a, a, a lovely narrative full circle for her. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing her. that it was like a few days before she died. Like, that. I'm oh, glad yeah. she got to know. It would have been annoying if it was posthumous, wouldn't it? Which yeah, happens exactly. so often. But I, so presumably they would have known she was on her way out, right? And so they would have gone, now's the time, lads. Get in there quick. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you're going to do France. this, you need to do it now. Cause you... Yeah. Or like, I don't know, maybe it's just a coincidence. I, don't know. I assume that's what happened. But... I wonder if someone made a call. I wonder if she maybe. made a meet who was like, listen, fellas. Yeah. She needs this. But, yeah. yeah, this would give her the resolution that she needs. Yeah. Um, what a life. What an amazing woman. What a life. <laughs> what an icon. Flawed, um, mm. but just inc- incredibly inspiring. And uh, yeah, I am, I am sad that it doesn't seem like she had very much happiness because even kind of at the like arguably you know the heart the height of her success before she left the states she was just in this horrible abusive marriage mm. and yeah. like being treated like a racehorse so it i mean you i don't know it, it, there's almost something slightly tragic in you know we're talking about her her kind of wanting to start a riot like she she was at no point was she just going this is joyous to just sing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, to sing and be heard. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A, a life defined by that, I think. And yeah, may, maybe again, it slightly comes back to not having felt like she'd fulfilled her potential mm. and therefore not being able to enjoy the success because it wasn't what she actually wanted. Mm. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because this, and this wasn't, I don't know, like you, <laughs> you wouldn't wish it, but I do think that also it's part of what makes her music so powerful. Yeah. Like you can hear, you can hear the yes. pain in her, you know, even, yeah. and even in the, the kind of the more joyous, happy songs, there's that richness like underneath it, which is, I think that's partly why I love them. Like, I think I, I don't respond as readily to music that feels purely happy <laughs> like it yeah. seems kind of frivolous yeah I'm like, all right you're having a lovely time great good for you where's my pain yeah but but I think because it fe- and this I don't know maybe it sounds very morbid but to me I guess that's because it feels more truthful because maybe yeah. and maybe that's not maybe that's not the case everyone maybe there are some people who just have a nice life but for me I'm like there I have experienced lots of joy but also there is pain Mm. and the two things coexist it's a bit like Mm. how people talk about how grief is the price you pay for love it's like Mm. it the having incredible things is you know that there's also kind of the the flip side of that and the it's almost like the fact that she was so extraordinary and so talented and she knew that and she Mm. felt that potential and yet she was facing all of this kind of oppression and all these barriers to success and you know to her doing following her kind of actual dream that it's like the combination of those two two things like the tension there of um she never just went oh well I'll just enjoy the fact that I can sit and it's almost like the reason she didn't do that is because she was so extraordinary that she was like, no, I, I am not the sort of person who settles. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, you know, which yeah. feels very diva. It's like, no, this is, I don't care if you'll think I ought to feel grateful, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's 
it's not good enough. Yeah. Which is like an amazing <laughs> irony like, as well. Like not not to shit on one of your wedding songs, but like in terms of feeling good, like it's yeah, it's it's a song in which the lyrics are "I'm feeling good," but it, every time it's preceded by "It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new world." Like it's it feels like res- almost um, and the way that the the bass line goes, it almost mm. feels like it's repetitive or it's circular. And she keeps coming around to this point where she's like, "And I'm feeling good." It's a new dawn, and every, yeah. it's always this attempt to kind of reach something or mm. get to a place. And then, like you said, I had to have a voice that's so full of sadness and soul and and power, like to have that kind of infiltrate a song in which the the dominant kind of theme is I'm feeling good yeah it's so interesting and I guess that's why so many people responded to that song so much yeah no that I think you're absolutely right like I because I think there's a sense of the the new dawn new day thing implies that like she wasn't feeling good like yeah. pre-dawn doesn't it yeah. like it's, yeah. it suggests like I now fresh start like from yeah. From, yeah. from this moment forward like so there's an optimism to it I think a kind of and I guess that's the thing is that it feels like I don't know it sounds like maybe maybe she lost it at the end of her life I don't know how much that that was the medication affecting her but it feels like throughout a lot of her life she did she did keep moving forward so there was yeah. some optimism you know it's it's funny it's something I um I, I often quote uh, a thing that I read Catelyn Moran is saying that basically it's a huge privilege to be a cynic or to be pessimistic it's mm. like if you actually need change to survive you have to be optimistic like yeah. that and that really kind of struck a chord with me and that it feels like that's sort of that she kind of embodied that like she was angry and she was resentful but also she was active you know yeah. she was yeah. moving forward she was doing things because that's what she needed that's what she had to do it was like even if she didn't believe that she was going to achieve this you know everything she wanted to achieve it's like well I have to keep kind of moving towards the hope in a sense and that's what feeling good feels like to me it feels like that kind of there's a it's almost like um what do you call it like an affirmation you know when you like talk to yourself in the mirror and say and you say it until you believe it like yes, that, which makes sense to the repetitive thing you're talking for a mantra about. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Every yeah, yesterday was shit. <laughs> Tomorrow, but. but today I'm feeling good, and then yeah. we're back. We're back into the cycle again. But yeah, but it's that yeah, the eternal optimism of of knowing that today you're going to feel good. Though. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Ah, oh, what a woman! What a woman! Ah, oh. that brings us to plugs and hugs. It wasn't seven volumes, by the way, so it It was only two. (laughs) Although there could easily have been seven. Seven volumes, yeah. My love, where can the people find you? What are you up to? What's on on the horizon? Um, Well, I mean, people... I have a website, which is bellahesum.com, which I should update. And I think I also said this, like, however many weeks ago it was, and I haven't (laughs) updated it in the interim, so... (laughs) And the newsletter does. Um, yeah, it has the newsletter going. <laughs> yeah, that's that's on hold. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter at Bellahesum. I'm on Instagram, but again, mostly I'm mostly just I'm observing other people. I sometimes like I like repost things in my stories or I'll retweet things. But I'm to be honest, I'm not offering a huge amount of original content online. Yeah. Um, but that is because I am busy writing lots of things so hopefully long term what you'll be able to see is like actual television that I've written but it takes a really long time 
so um yeah it's not yeah. it's not a short-term thing is it but um yeah exactly why, why give away content for free on the internet when you can <laughs> make that sweet bank and, and make amazing work which you do um so everyone, look out for bella heaston uh, thank oh, you so much Oh, no. Uh, yeah, the place. Tell, tell me about the place. I'm just being annoying. I think I said this last time anyway. Just that my plays have been published, so you can read them if you like. Yeah, go on. Read her plays, because they're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Diva Energy. If you did and you want to reach out and have a chat, share your BDE stories with us, maybe even your own Nina-related stories, or just tell us which diva means the most to you, you can tweet us at Diva Energy. Get us on the gram at Big Diva Energy or email us at BigDivaEnergyPod at gmail.com. We're also on TikTok. Just be young and cool. This podcast is a Dark Matters production. If you thought we were high priestesses of soul, don't forget to like and subscribe. Alternatively, if you found us to be two noisy teenagers living next door to your French villa, get in the sea.